Hello, my friends. Today I give you my last monologue before the U.S. election. I'm a little bit nervous because I think the stakes are high. Everyone always says that, but this feels somehow like a turning point. And, you know, people say, well, the pendulum always swings back. I think the Democrats have plans so that the pendulum will not swing back, whether it's packing the court or even talking about changing the Electoral College. I'm worried, and I go through my worries, but there's still a glimmer of hope underneath it. That's ahead, but before I get out of the way, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's basically these podcasts, but with a video. It's the video of these podcasts that produce stories. Lots of B-roll and ads and all these fancy words for saying good things to look at. I encourage you to subscribe. Eight bucks a month at rebelnews.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, it's election day in America tomorrow, and I think it's the most momentous choice since the Civil War. It's November 2nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. The Civil War was the greatest calamity to happen to the United States. Over 600,000 killed in that war, more than all other wars combined for America. It ended slavery and it ended the secession of the southern states called the Confederacy. The most momentous crisis in American history, I truly think tomorrow's election. And the stark contrast offered by Donald Trump and Joe Biden is the most serious choice with the most serious ramifications for America in 160 years. I really believe that. In fact, I think there's actually a possibility for an informal civil war in America, not a war between the states, but a wave of mass political violence in the streets. It's not even a prediction. It's an observation of how the Democrat street gangs like Antifa and Black Lives Matter have conducted themselves in the past six months. I see that shopkeepers in Washington, D.C. have begun boarding up their windows again. They're not worried about riots from Republicans. There are no Republicans in Washington. But don't worry, all the Democrat celebrities who support Democrat rioters, call for the defunding of police, they'll have plenty of private security. America has had crises since the Civil War, whether to get involved in the Second World War, for example. Isolationists won the argument for two years after Hitler attacked the world, that ended when Germany's ally Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. It was a disaster and a calamity, but it actually unified America. After Pearl Harbor, every American was fused together in a sense of shared national purpose. The Cold War that followed was a test for America too. But again, there was a general agreement between Republicans and Democrats about foreign policy. It was John F. Kennedy, the Democrat, who contained Cuba, actually backed an attempt to invade it. Democrats love fighting wars, probably a little bit too much. My point is that disagreements between Republican politicians and Democrat politicians and their voter bases have been reasonable and incremental most of the time, but that's come apart. Over the past two decades, divisions in America have increased. There isn't much of a center anymore. There's not a lot of common ground anymore. Look at these graphs from Pew Research. The country's coming apart, I think. Coming Apart, that's the title of a book published almost 10 years ago by the great scholar Charles Murray. He describes many changes in America, including a growing white underclass and how elites in places like Manhattan, 
in Silicon Valley have so little to do with small town or rural or Christian America anymore. It's like they're living in a bubble. PBS interviewed Murray, and they published a little quiz online that you can take, and I really recommend you do it. Do you live in a bubble, is their quiz. There exists a new upper class that's completely disconnected from the average white American and American culture at large, argues Charles Murray. Questions like, have you ever lived for at least a year in a community, an American community, with a population under 50,000 that is not part of a metropolitan area and is not where you went to college? So have you ever spent a year in a small town? Have you ever walked on a factory floor? That's my favorite by far. Have you ever had a close friend who was an evangelical Christian? And this one, which was so prescient for cancel culture, do you now have a close friend with whom you have strong and wide-ranging political disagreements? Huh. There are questions about what restaurants you go to and what movies you watch. Some of them are surprising for fancy big city pundits to read. They're not IQ tests. There's actually no right or wrong answer. It's not an ideological test. It's just testing. Do you know how people in the other places live, how the other half lives, how they think? It's not an IQ test. There's no right or wrong. It's just do you know. Trump has a massive rally. Well, he's having a bunch of them. He had one over the weekend in a place called Butler, Pennsylvania. Small town, lots of blue-collar workers working in fracking. Used to be some steel jobs there. It's over 90% white. Average income is $25,000 a year. You heard that right, 25. Look at the size of the Trump rally there in Butler. I've read some reports that put it over 50,000 people. Obviously, people came in from far away, probably Pittsburgh nearby. That's one part of America. Their steel jobs went to China. Fracking is what gives them some work now. They're not obsessed with what your pronouns are or transgender rights. They're not interested in pleasing the United Nations global warming diplomats, and they're probably not interested in ever fighting a forever war in Afghanistan. So that's one half of the country that Charles Murray talks about. They know that open borders immigration drives down wages. They've been hit hard by opioid drugs from China. They, I think they care about China. I think Trump's message is like, this works. Here's a one-minute ad. I think this works. ABC News investigation this morning into Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and questions about money he made from foreign business dealings while his father was vice president. And did Joe Biden allow it? We're talking about millions of dollars in at least two countries. Did you talk about China no. or your deal with China? No. A 12-hour flight over? No, no, of course not. That never came up? No. Less than two weeks after that trip, BHR Partners was launched, a private equity firm funded in part by Chinese banks. He has come forward and said it was a mistake on his part to be on the board. My son's business dealings were not anything with everybody that he's talking about. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. Hunter Biden holds an equity stake in a company that's taken over a billion and a half dollars in loans from the Chinese government. This is obviously an issue. What they said is China would prefer Joe Biden. China and Iran. China and Iran. China and Iran want to see Donald Trump's defeat. And they're looking for ways to make that happen. China's a great nation, and we should hope for the continued expansion. The growth of China is overwhelmingly in our interest. And there's much more to come. And now the steel mill ain't even there. I think that connects, which is why the mainstream media absolutely censored the massive scandal of Biden's son, Hunter Biden, taking millions from China and millions from Russia and other foreign countries, while Biden himself was vice president dealing with those same countries. Hunter Biden is a dissolute, drug-addicted ne'er-do-well, always in trouble, bizarre moral choices that I will not get into here, absolutely unemployable, but all of... These foreign countries were hiring him 
for millions of dollars. What were they paying him for? Well, here's a hint. I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, right, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours." If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Yeah, that's what Hunter Biden was hired for. You've heard the phrase honey trap, right? Basically a way to entrap someone, to compromise them, usually using sex, but you could extort someone over almost anything. Hunter Biden is the Winnie the Pooh when it comes to honey traps. I mean, seriously, why on earth would the wife of the former mayor of Moscow wire him $3.5 million. It's not even the corruption. It's that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, um, it's not the grift. It's not the immorality. It's not even the security risk. It's that Joe Biden would obviously sell out the people of Butler, Pennsylvania, to China for a buck. They're not fighting for the people of Butler. I think it's true to say that Trump is belligerent and aggressive and bellicose and offensive and feisty, but... I think it's in the service of people like those in Butler. I, I don't know how rich Trump is, whether he's worth a few hundred million or a billion or 10 billion, I don't know, whatever, but it's clear that he's not doing this for the cash. It's absolutely unthinkable that Joe Biden would decline to take the president's salary. Trump donates his salary to a different charity every quarter. What does Trump fight for? Why is he in it? He had fame and fortune and influence. Whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he's deploying his personal and political capital to certain very clear public outcomes. Tax cuts, reviving oil and gas for economic reasons and also to make America energy independent, not getting into foreign entanglements, checking the power of China militarily and politically and economically. I mean, all the masters of the universe, all the big bosses hate Trump for putting tariffs on China. Of course they do. They want to use cheap Chinese factories instead of hiring people in Butler, Pennsylvania. Look at this. Wall Street donors line up behind Biden in massive third quarter fundraising hall. Well, Trump might be a billionaire, but he's certainly not part of the club. The plutocrats, they love Biden and they love China. We see what they'll do to get in good with China and get access to the markets, watching the NBA take a knee to oppose America while bowing at the waist to communist China tells you everything you need to know. So it's jobs, it's also respect. People say Donald Trump insults others a lot. People in media and politics, too, the most profane professions, I can tell you, having worked in both of them, people in the media and politics are pretending to be shocked, shocked by some of the things Trump says. He's mean sometimes, sure, but imagine taking that criticism at face value. Imagine pretending that journalists and Trump's political opponents are not rude and abusive in their language, too. They just generally don't let the mask slip in public. Trump doesn't care. Except for Joe Biden, weirdly enough, Trump has insults for his opponents. He insults his rivals. He gives them funny nicknames. But I've rarely seen Trump punch down or insult entire swaths of Americans like Joe Biden does. This isn't a political statement like those ugly folks over there beeping the horns. 
a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has ever said that. You see it on the TV. No, I really do. And by the way, that's why I'm not sedentary. I don't like it up and let them go. Let them go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do this run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take my shape on. Number two. Number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Now, I didn't say you were doing anything wrong. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. You know what you said? I Get your work straight, Jack. That's but I, we, we hear on the on MSNBC. All we don't hear that on MSNBC. Yeah, no, we did not hear that at all. What you heard? Look, okay, I'm not going to get an argument with you, man. No, well, I don't want to leave. Well, yeah, you do, but, uh, but look, Fat, look, here's the deal. You a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lion dog faced pony soldier. You said you were. It's a laugh at people who think. <laughs> they need a fainting couch for Donald Trump's supposed rudeness or supporting the weirdest, rudest Democrat who was running. That's just the insults. I think Biden flees to insults when he gets agitated and forgets his points or loses his train of thought like this. Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. Calm down. That's weird. He does a lot of weird things. Like, this is just the other day. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. That's weird, and maybe that's sad. I think he is in mental decline that his campaign's trying to hide. But certain things are not a result of aging. They're a moral decision. And some of Biden's moral decisions are so commonplace, they become habits for him, like inappropriately touching and grabbing and sniffing young women, telling them to talk to him about dating, telling them to meet him afterwards. Children, he says that to. Trump once used the word pussy, and they call him a sexual assaulter for it. Biden fondles children live on TV, and the media gives him a pass. A former staffer named Tara Reid has been making credible accusations about Biden groping her for years. She didn't just remember these charges now during the election. She said them for years. She said it at the time. She has contemporaneous witnesses that she was complaining. Have you ever even heard the name Tara Reid during the campaign? The CBC is obsessed with Trump. Uh, I typed in their search engine, and they did mention Tara Reid. It's true. They mentioned her back in the spring before Biden was officially nominated as a candidate. And they haven't uttered her name ever since. Sort of like how they put the name Rose Knight down the memory hole. Remember her? The woman Justin Trudeau sexually assaulted in Creston, B.C. I've been uh, reflecting very carefully on what I remember from that incident almost 20 years ago. Uh, and again, I am... I feel, I am confident that I uh, did not act inappropriately. But part of this awakening that we're having as a society, a long-awaited uh, realization, is that it's not just uh, one side of the story that matters. That the same interactions could be experienced very differently from one person to the next. Biden's falling apart physically and mentally. He's abusive verbally. There are credible allegations of sexual impropriety. Biden is hopelessly compromised by his son and emails from his son's laptop that appear to show Biden himself got a cut of every deal that Hunter Biden was making. It's a mess. It's a disaster in terms of policy. 
like Biden's bizarre plan to shut down the oil industry. I have one final would question. Would he close down falls, the oil industry? It falls. W would you close it down the falls. oil industry? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's a big statement. It is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But that's you can't a big do statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the, to the gas, excuse me, to, the, to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do All give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you... He supported the Green New Deal. He just calls it the Biden plan, but it's the same thing. He's a lockdown booster, a mask fetishist. He wants national mask mandates. He talks about a long, dark winter. Can you believe Oh, you're going to have a long, dark winter? We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter. Would you hire someone, invest in something, take a chance, build, if your president was talking about a long, dark winter? Whereas the medical facts on the ground, you know, it's a 99% plus recovery rate. And the average age of a victim of the virus is mid-80s. It's almost like it's not about the virus anymore. It's just about power and fear. But there are other things. Biden was part of the Obama administration that preferred Iran to Israel and the moderate Arab states. And, um, you know, they've all made peace with Israel in just the past few months. But Biden was part of the opposite view. It's not just the pallets of cash that Biden and Obama sent to Iran. It was surrendering to them every time. He literally let Iran capture and kidnap and humiliate U.S. forces in the Persian Gulf with impunity. But it's everything. It's transgender extremism. I mean, Trump is the most gay-friendly president in history. He appointed the first openly gay member of cabinet, but Trump's not obsessed with it, especially to the point of danger, especially with transgenderism. Biden is fully into trans extremism. Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democrats in particular love censorship, tech censorship, since it's uniformly pro-Democrat and anti-conservative. The New York Post, a 200-year-old newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton, was censored for two weeks by Twitter for publishing the story about Hunter Biden. Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, all of them are censoring conservatives en masse. That's what they're doing now. Imagine what they'll do if Trump is out of office, if they can only eject him, and they're trying to. Remember what one of Facebook's censors told us. Like, if your shop alone was doing 300,000 censorship moments per day, all mm -hmm. told. 300,000 censorship actions per day just from the Phoenix office of Facebook's censorship contractor. But the scarier part is this. So when they hired us, they told us that our job as content moderators was to train the AI. So we would, um, for example, certain imagery, for example, there was imagery of, of cleavage or uh, you know, a woman in a bikini. We would mark it with a certain label so that the AI could be trained, so that way you could filter your settings later in Facebook if you didn't want to see certain types of content. Uh, we were training the AI to do so. So I think the overall goal was to turn over more content moderation to the AI um, and allow that to do our jobs. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the AI did more, more deletions than us. So in the future, there won't even be thousands of human sensors. There's just going to be a computer, artificial intelligence that studied learned from watching millions of censorship done by people. So now it just works on its own automatically. No need to get people involved. That is coming. That's coming as soon as tomorrow. 
That suits the fancy America just fine, apparently. The elite America in Charles Murray's book, Coming Apart. They don't mind these things. They don't mind balloon-collar jobs being shipped to China. That just means they can save a few bucks when they buy some gadget at a store. And by store, I mean Amazon.com. They're fine with that. The idea of preserving middle-class jobs, small businesses, that's a right-wing idea. They want a future that's high-tech and global and cool, not grubby, not a factory floor. The elite in Silicon Valley and Manhattan and Seattle and Boston and Washington, D.C., they're going to be fine. They want to ban guns, but they'll have private security. They want to defund police, but not for themselves. They see the deals that Biden is doing with China, and they want in on it. They're excited because they know how to handle Biden. No one knew how to handle Trump. I mean, what could you give the man that he doesn't already have? But I say again, I'm not worried about temporary or incremental differences. Taxes will rise or fall. The debt will rise or fall. Civil liberties will be infringed on. Domestic manufacturing will fade in favor of foreign imports. Wall Street will get the cheap trade deals it wants. People won't care as long as they can buy things on an app. The forgotten people in Butler, Pennsylvania can just learn to code, as Obama and Trudeau like to say. That's all sad. I'm upset by all that. And China will probably make a move on Taiwan. And Iran will probably make a move on its neighbors, at least through terrorist proxies. Europe will shirk its NATO duties again. I don't like all those things, but what I'm afraid of are things that will change permanently and irrevocably. That's why I say this is a momentous election. The world and America survived Obama. There were some awful things done during that time, but America survived and revived a bit. But what if, say, Biden wins and keeps the Congress Democrat, which I think will happen, and maybe wins the Senate, which could happen, what if he has the whole control of the place, White House, Senate, Congress? Obama had that power for a couple of years, used it to ram through Medicare, Obamacare, the nationalization of health care. That was terrible, but it didn't destroy America. It wasn't irrevocable. But what if Biden, by which I mean Kamala Harris and the activists like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, what if they have two years to do as they please? They will make permanent changes to America. They'll immediately pack the Supreme Court. It's got nine judges on it, six of whom are conservatives, so they'll just double the size of the court at a bunch of Democrats, so they'll just seize control of the court that way. It's called packing the court, and they're absolutely going to do it. If elected, would you move to add more justices to the Supreme Court? If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative, and I will... Uh, Ask them to, over uh, 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system because it's getting out of whack, um, the way in which it's ha being handled. And it's not about court packing. There's a number of other things that our constitutional scholars have debated, and I'd look to see what recommendations that commission might make. This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live ball. No, it is a live ball. We're going to have to do that. And you're going to find there's a lot of conservative constitutional scholars who are saying it as well. So They'll also make it so they never have to ever care about Butler, Pennsylvania, or any other flyover state again if they can change the Electoral College, which provides a limit on the overwhelming population of large states like California and protects smaller states. The Democrats have made no secret of their desire to end that, though I'm not sure how that would happen constitutionally. But we know they'll change the rules of the Senate. They'll change whatever they have to to force through changes that can't be undone. Mass amnesty for illegal immigrants is an obvious one. They do that in a second. There are at least 13 million and maybe several times that illegal aliens in America. You turn those into citizens, 
and thus voters, and you just won Texas. The Republicans will never win the presidency again. It's that rigging of the rules that I'm worried about, not the individual tactical changes that each party makes for four or eight years at a time, but the changing of how the rules of the game even work, like switching to mailing in votes and counting votes for days after the election's over. It's a fact that George Soros spent massively to fund various secretaries of state across the U.S. to work on nothing but changing the rules to benefit their party forever. I'm worried that we uh, would have a perfect storm of that if Trump loses. Steal the election through fraud. Pack the Supreme Court to assure victory in any court challenge. Change the rules of the Senate to perpetually benefit the left. Naturalize 13 million illegals to swamp Texas and other states. Open the borders to a million more of Ilhan Omar's friends. Basically turn it into Canada. But the thing is, Canada isn't the leader of the free world. America is. If that light goes out, well, who will lead? Not Russia. They're poor and shrinking. Not India yet. Not Britain or France. China will rule. And they'll rule militarily where necessary, like in Asia. But they'll rule commercially in most places. And they'll rule by controlling the Internet everywhere they can, spying on you, including through your uninformed consent, like through 5G and TikTok and the like. America will still be the best place in the world to live, I'm sure. Or at least one of the best for many people. Not for the people in Butler. They'll fall further and further behind. And not for the poor even in blue states. They're the ones stuck in the riot zones. But if you can be one of the elites, you'll have a good enough life. Just make sure you don't have any views that can be seen as, what's that lefty word again? Problematic. I mean, really, nothing lasts forever. The Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the British Empire... Why would you think that the American Republic would last forever? It almost collapsed in the Civil War less than a century out. It's had almost 250 years. That's a pretty great run, a quarter of a millennium. If Trump loses, I fear irrevocable authoritarianism from our new bosses. The J.D., Rockefellers, and Carnegies, and other Robin Barons of our age. I'm talking about the tech oligarchs, all of whom have a bizarre God complex, and why not? Jeff Bezos literally looks like Lex Luthor. He's worth $200 billion. He's doubled it under the pandemic. Mark Zuckerberg looks like an alien, certainly acts like one. I think he's a sociopath who thinks people are like ants in an ant colony. And Jack Dorsey thinks he's Jesus or something, or Rasputin or something. I don't know. They'll control what we hear and say and know about everything, and they'll know everything about us, and they'll track us. They're all too happy to do business with China and to censor us for wrong think. They'll open up the gates to the barbarians. They all got rich and successful from freedom. Now that they have it, they don't really care about it. I don't know. I hope Trump will win. I'm nervous. Maybe if Biden wins, America can trudge forward strong enough like it survived eight years of Obama. But I think the threats are bigger and the Democrats are meaner and more radical. Normally, I'd say that there'd be a reckoning after Biden-Harris, just like there was a reckoning after Obama-Biden. But I'm here to say I think that if Biden wins, the Democrats will arrange it so there won't be a reckoning, so they can't be unwon their wins. The pendulum won't swing back. Boy, I hope that problem. Stay with us for more. Well, Donald Trump is making a frenetic collection of last-minute rallies. Five yesterday alone, 
all across the country, battleground states. He was in Pennsylvania. He was in Miami. He was in North Carolina. He was in Georgia. He's trying to tip the vote over in states he's got to win to win that electoral college. Well, we sent our own Andrew Chapados down to Traverse City, Michigan, in the northwest part of the state. One of the battleground states, Trump won that state, a state that used to be famous for making cars. Now it's famous for dilapidated buildings in Detroit. That's generations of Democrat neglect. Do Michiganders think Donald Trump delivered and will they deliver for him? Andrew, uh, how's it going down there? Tell us what you see in Traverse City, Michigan. Hey Ezra, thanks for having me. It's wild right now. It sounds like you're at a playoff hockey game or a playoff uh, Blue Jays game. There's thousands of people here. The sound is blaring. They've come from all over Michigan, Wisconsin. We've seen California and New York license plates. The people are highly energized. They're here early. Like I said, there's thousands of people already here behind me and they still have more bleachers to fill. And like you mentioned, they went red last time. They went red even more in the house and they're trying to make sure they keep that lead this time around. So you talk to the people here, there's a lot of energy when you drive in. There's a lot of car dealerships. You've got to imagine that more Democrats in office for them would not be a good idea, Ezra. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I've seen an enormous intensity of Trump supporters. We've even seen Trump rallies in places you would never expect it. In New York, uh, Jews for Trump. Uh, Beverly Hills has had Trump rallies, places you just wouldn't expect to see it. And that's impressive, but is it just that Trump supporters are very enthused, but numerically they're not uh, wide in numbers? So the support is deep, but not wide. What what I think Trump would be hoping for is that when you have 50,000 people come to, you know, a, a field in Butler, Pennsylvania, or I don't know how many are expected in Traverse City, that's representative of 10 more people who couldn't make it. But my worry, or at least the worry from the Trump's point of view, Trump campaign's point of view would be, you've just seen the totality of the Trump enthusiasts. They're really revved up, but there's just not enough of them. I mean, you have to imagine that the Democrats are relying a lot on mail-in voting and early voting. And we've seen a lot that the mail-in voting isn't exactly going their way. The early voting isn't going their way so far as it has in the past. But what we're seeing behind me, if you compare this to a Joe Biden drive-in parking lot rally, I don't think you can question the enthusiasm at all. You have to hope that everything you see here is just as you can and compare it with a Biden rally. The enthusiasm is way off the charts as opposed to Biden mumbling through another, another rally, Ezra. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, In Pennsylvania, the big issue is oil and gas, fracking. Pennsylvania used to be a coal state, a steel state. Now it's all about fracking. And when Joe Biden said he would phase out oil and gas, that was a real blow to his chances in Pennsylvania. What are the big issues in Michigan? Is it China and trade deals? Is it bringing back factories? Um, I mean, that for a generation has been a blue collar, blue state voting Democrat. What do you think the issues are that are going to resonate with Michigan today? Well, they have to be the automotive industry and trade deals, uh, everything to do with USMCA. That's got to be a big factor here. Like I said, you drive in and you see so many car dealerships and you think that they can't can't be kept up unless the parts and everything is being assembled here. So that's got to be a big push factor for people to come out and vote for Donald Trump. Blue collar jobs, taxes going down, and everybody around here being, you know, a salt of the earth person who just wants to work hard and not be ripped off on their paycheck. 
Well, I can tell there's probably well, many thousands of people behind you and every one of them is on their phone or live streaming or something because the cell phone connection's a little rickety. So we're gonna say goodbye to you there, but we know you'll be posting things to YouTube, Twitter, Instagram from down there. Thanks for making the journey. Can hardly wait to see how the rally goes tonight. Thanks a lot, Ezra. It was a long trip. It's cold, but it's exciting here and we're glad to be here. Right on. Well, it's great to have you down there. That's Andrew Chapados who works in our office and does great videos uh, on our uh, channel. You've seen some of his viral hits with us. And he's down there in Michigan reporting tonight. Stay with us more. Hey, welcome back to my monologue on the recent France terrorist attacks. Jim writes, Free speech is worth nothing if one cannot criticize the violent, barbaric, totalitarian displays of Islamic governments, leaders, and acolytes. Trudeau and Singh morally compromised themselves once again for election advantage. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I saw a clip of Emmanuel Macron being very passionate the other day. Maybe it's because everyone's picking on him personally. Uh, the Turkish president, I see images from Bangladesh of people hitting a picture of Macron on the wall. Maybe he's taking it personally, but I like he's rising to the occasion. Trudeau never rises to the occasion, does he? Sean writes, any rational being would be opposed to the blasphemy of the holy prophet as it would be fanning the flames of violence. Sometimes in order to preserve peace, order, and good government, we need to sacrifice some rights. Um, you know what? That is another way of saying pay the Dane geld. And as Rudyard Kipling told us, once you pay the Dane geld, you'll never get rid of the Dane. What else do we have to sacrifice to avoid violence? The Quran has some very strict views, and the Sharia law and the political manifestation of Islamism is harsh towards women, gays, Christians, and Jews, so many things. Can you make a list of the people you're willing to sacrifice so you're not beat up? I don't want to do that. On the election tomorrow, Bruce writes, as for next week's election in America, more is riding on it than in 2016. The stark contrast between party philosophies is unavoidable. Trump showed America what free enterprise can do. Free enterprise is part of it, but it's a lot more than just dollars and cents. It's culturally, it's standing up to China, it's taking, it's appointing judges who are strict constructionists. There's, there's a great many things Trump have done that have nothing to do with dollars and cents. And I think mainly fighting against those snobby elites that Charles Murray talked about and defending the working man that's something Democrats used to do. Well, Trump's doing it. Let's see if it's enough. All right, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.